dear brothers and sisters in Christ, it was maybe, it was a little bit, six months ago probably, I was saw an article that kind of caught my eye. It was in uh, the New York Times of, of all places. And it was about a phenomenon happening amongst uh, evangelical Christians who would happen to have a certain end-time theology. And more and more of them were experiencing what, what the article called rapture anxiety. You ever hear that? Rapture anxiety. Now, I kind of figured out what it was. When I read the article, what it was is that people who believe that the Bible describes an evacuation of Christians, kind of God just yanks you off the planet to, to bring the wrath of God, people who believe that, were starting to have anxiety that the event had happened and they had been missed. They, they saw the bad news uh, on the TV and concluded we are in the midst of what would be called the Great Tribulation in, in their theology, and, and they didn't get picked up. So it was becoming a, a point of anxiety for them. And I thought, well, this is something I have to write about. Uh, most of us know that I write two blogs. They alternate every other week. One is about what the Bible says about life after death or what, everything after death, really, afterdeathsite.com. And the other one is just givingchrist.com. It's much more general. So I wrote about rapture anxiety and what I thought was wrong about that idea of rapture. And lo and behold, that was one of the most read articles I had. In that particular one, there were a lot of people who somehow Googled onto it and were worried themselves or at least interested in rapture anxiety. Now, the reason why you probably never heard of it is that Lutherans don't believe in a rapture like that. People ask me every once in a while, do Lutherans believe in a rapture? I was like, yeah. I'm going to tell you about it in just a sec. We believe that God's going to collect us up right before Judgment Day so that we are seated at his right hand. That's what's talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4, in earlier Matthew, Matthew 24, one is taken and the other left. And then somewhat here in our text today. Now, without a doubt, if we are alive when Judgment Day happens, it will be initially very disconcerting. Okay? It will scare the, the, the shorts off of just about anybody. Because the description of it is, is quite scary even to read. Matthew 24 says there are going to be great signs in heaven. Like the stars falling from the sky. God's going to recreate the universe, so he's got to uh, deconstruct the universe to start with. And for a while, you'll get to see it. And it'll have its effects on earth. Big tidal effects. 
and the rushing and crashing of the sea. And how long we'll see that before we actually see Jesus is not clear. It might be days even or weeks. It might be hours, minutes, hard to say. But those sights and sounds will, or will certainly get everybody's attention. And then comes the big sound thing. The voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. I have no idea what that sounds like, but I'm going to guess loud. And that loud noise will certainly get everybody's attention. And there will be fear unless... Unless people figured out what's happening. The next thing should tip you off, though. Everybody, doesn't matter what side of the planet, doesn't matter where you are, you will see Jesus coming again. And with him, those who have, quote-unquote, fallen asleep in him. Now, I think probably the odds are for the people in this room that we will have died before that date and that we will have been in heaven and we will be the people coming with Jesus rather than the people looking at Jesus. But you got to admit, it, it could go either way. So it's pretty important to understand what's going on. At that time, God will gather his people. And if you noticed Ezekiel, he's talking about gathering his people from all the nations and all the places that they are. And while I think there is an immediate interpretation of that, that it would say that he's going to gather his scattered people who have been taken away to Babylon, he's really not focusing in on that. He's talking about a bigger exile, a bigger dispersion. And so God's going to collect his people, no matter where they are, from everywhere. And when I say everywhere, I do mean everywhere. Whether you're alive and hiding in a cave or whether you're dead and coming with him with Jesus, the resurrection of our bodies will all happen or the transition of our bodies from what you got now to resurrected form. It will all happen in a flash and we will be gathered together to meet Lord the Lord in the air, and that, I'm not going to call it a Lutheran rapture, that's the biblical rapture. That's what it's describing. We're not evacuating, we're arriving. And so God knows who is His. And a price has been paid, excuse me, for those who belong to Him. Jesus died on the cross for sins of his people. And we are successfully cleansed. And that fact, that context, means everything when you look at the gospel reading. Take a look at the gospel reading. I've had plenty of questions about this. It is a reading that taken out of context, which everybody seems to like to do, really can be badly misinterpreted. Because if you read it just by itself, it makes it sound like you are saved by doing nice things to people. And that is not at all a fact. There's a group on the right. That would be us. 
Why are we on the right? Is it that we've never sinned? Is it that we've never left an opportunity to do good on the table and undone? Is that the way it works? That's not realistic. You know darn well none of us are like that. So why are we on the right? Because we've been connected by Jesus and covered by his blood. That the connection begun at baptism remains there still. That's why we're on the right. So God's grace is in this story. You just got to understand it has to do with how you're placed either on the right or the left. The people on the left. Do you think this big group of people had never done one charitable, unselfish thing in their life? That's not realistic either. But, but they, they've rejected God's salvation on the cross. And there's nothing you can do, no matter how much of it you do, to fix your sin. Only, only the death of Jesus is going to get that work done. So that's why people are on the right and the left. And then this reading, which people often just refer to as the sheep and the goats, um, this reading tells us again that judgment day is about a judgment of our deeds. Not so much a judgment of our salvation if we belong to Christ. So the people on the right... And I would say you really, hopefully, can identify with that. They are evaluated for their sins. Now, this, or for their deeds, rather. Here in this gospel reading, it sounds like one big mass evaluation, right? But if you go to 1 Corinthians 3, you find out it's, it's very individualistic. I presume God's doing it all at one time. I sure hope it's not alphabetical. Anyway, because I'm going to be sitting there a long time. We're all at one time. First Corinthians three says that what we have built upon Jesus will be tested by fire. And if what is tested remains, you'll receive your reward. You will be looked at for what kind of steward were you? We talked about that last week of all the things that God has given you. You will be looked at. As far as how did you tackle the mission that God gave you? And did you do it humbly? Did you say, I'm only an unworthy servant. I've only done my duty. Was that your heart or was it something else? It will look at whether God was able to work through you the way he's wanted to. And if so, you will receive your reward. But if you look at that 1 Corinthians 3... It says, if not, what he's built has been burnt up, but he himself will be saved, but only as one passing through the flames. So there is a way to lose on that day, but still win. You will lose a reward, but because of Christ, you will be given your salvation. That certainly beats the other alternative, which is the people on the left. Now, the people on the left, some of them might have been fabulous people. I mean, good citizens, good neighbors, great parents, highly religious, and on and on and on. 
But what distinguishes them is that they have rejected Jesus as Savior for whatever reason. And so they are just called out for all the things they did not do. None of the things that they did do even comes to light. And in the end, if you look at the end of the gospel, it says in verse 46, these very sobering words. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. People hate that line. I'm not a big fan of the first half of it. It's very much like my least favorite passage in Scripture where it talks about wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many enter through it and narrow is the path that leads to life and only if you find it. I wish that weren't correct. But does it change reality if I just take a marker and go... No, it just makes me ignorant of it. So why would God give you information about stuff like this? It is to prepare you. It is because he loves you. It's because he doesn't want people to go to eternal judgment either. But but his sense of justice, his law would require it. That's why he sent Jesus So by these words, we are reminded of the very relevance of Jesus. It is huge. And it's not just huge for life after death. It's huge for life right now. Because it alone puts into perspective what good things are good for. They're they're not good for saving yourself. But they certainly are there for reward if you are covered by the blood of Jesus. That's the win-win. It also tells us that, hey, if you look in this world and you don't see justice, yeah, be upset about it, but not too upset, because God will eventually bring about justice. He knows who should be forgiven and who should not. He knows who should be rewarded and who should not. And it also does not blink in talking to you about reward. Jesus mentions it many times. Paul mentions it several more. Just to exist in God's presence is is joy beyond our comprehension. You'd think, how can I be rewarded on top of that? Well, leave that to God to figure that out. All right. He is able to figure that out. So I hope, I hope you walk away. I don't think you're going to have rapture anxiety. We're probably pretty immune to that in this room. But you could have judgment day anxiety. And maybe just a tad bit of that isn't such a bad thing. But what I really want you to have is confidence in Christ and understanding about the purpose of your life. And to come into that day, and I, I think this is Christ's desire. I know it's my desire. It's my job. This is what I want. I want everybody I'm looking at, including people who might be looking at me, 
and everybody else who probably should be in here looking at me, I want them all to be in heaven or the new earth with me. I would prefer zero loss. I know that's probably not realistic, but I would prefer zero loss. And then, not to get greedy, but I'm going to be greedy. I pray that all of you knock life out of the ballpark. That Christ working in you leaves you with many, many good things that survive the, the judgment of Judgment Day and, and are rewarded. And you hear face to face to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And then when that's all done, we're going to high-five it all over the place. Right? That's the goal. We only got a little time to do that. But that, I pray, is what we do. It's what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.